Welcome to the Music Gardener's Almanac, where we explore the roots and fruits of everybody music through conversations with movers and shakers around the world. We discover how these roots and fruits intertwine with all aspects of our lives and the common ground we all share. Don't forget to water them, though. Everybody music. It's us. This conversation with historian and jazz musician Paul Ruffner shows the vital role music played in the movement that got Salvador Allende elected in Chile, and also how threatening music was to Pinochet's coup that ousted him, and also why it has been so hard to get everybody music going here in the United States. This conversation made me wonder if social change without music is really social change at all. Listen closely and click the links in the description. You will find yourself singing if you really listen to yourself. Okay, so I'm talking to Paul Ruffner. And Paul, if, to correct me if I'm wrong, you're writing a dissertation. Yes. And it's about Pinochet. And um, specifically, why don't you say what it's about? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So my working title right now is Se Viene El Estallido, which means the eruption is coming. Music, performance, and resistance to Chilean authoritarianism between 1973 and 1990. Well, I just from what you said, and actually, I think I would like you to repeat that, if you don't mind. But I, but I, I, I did, like off the top of my head, I feel like that it is actually extremely important to uh, us in this country. What what is extremely important to us? You know, like looking at how authoritarian regimes can go go like art is art and music can often be victims and we often don't because we're so i think that we're a little bit blind to this kind of thing but i i'm having you know it's hard to articulate but yeah why don't you say the the title again yeah okay so this so this title is the eruption is coming and i put it in spanish se viene el estallido and that's um actually the title of a of a different protest song from Argentina. Argentina had its own authoritarian experience. A lot of the Latin American countries did. So the eruption is coming. Se viene el estallido. Music. There, there's three points after that. Music, performance, looking at culture and the arts more generally, and resistance to Chilean authoritarianism. And then you have a date. So, so I'm, doing a, I'm doing a PhD in history for people who don't know through the University of Arizona at Tucson. And that's a pretty standard historical title where you'd 
where you give a little hint about what this is about. Oh, knowledgeable people are going to see there's the name of this very political song in the title. And then, you know, maybe he's writing, maybe he's writing about what we Americans call protest song. That's a term that I hate, but it's the term a lot of English speakers are familiar with. So music, performance, resistance to authoritarianism. Wait, wait, that, that's from a song? The Spanish bit, yes. Oh, um, can you sing that song, part of it? Uh, I, d- I don't know the words off the top of my head. I can find them. Okay, well... Maybe we'll put a link to it. We can put a we can put a little link. We can put a little link in the in the notes. I'll find that. Yeah, yeah. Send it on. That that would be really cool. Yeah. Okay. So before I before I jump in um, and give my my thoughts, I want to hear more about about this dissertation, which you know probably will become a book at some point. Judging by what what you said so far. I do feel like it's important because I think that for some reason, the arts and music, and I say that because they are often separated, and and also like music is kind of in a class by itself, I feel like, because there's like this vibrational thing going on with it that's like completely you know, inside our bodies. It's it's so it's so like Yes, it's, it's part of life it, so much. It's sound, like, like water. sound as as a category of historical analysis is really important. The same way, uh, race, class, gender—those are the big three that are sort of fashionable. You can put in, you can put in physical ability. You can put in a whole bunch of other categories to group people and things. But sound, and specifically the way the sense of sound is heard and produced, is just starting to really be a thing in the scholarly literature. People are just now starting to get at that. Music has been used for what I'm going to call political purposes for literally hundreds of years. Beethoven wrote his third symphony to honor Napoleon Bonaparte. He right, was, you right. Know, yeah. Um, Plato, the Greek philosopher who created, you know, idealist philosophy, uh, said the musicians and the poets are the most dangerous people in society. We must crack down to have... a to have a philosophically and morally sound society, we must crack down on all these musicians and poets going around and put them in their place. Um, So music has been used for political purposes and, uh, and, and musicians have felt the brunt of repression for literally thousands of years. Since Athenian Greece. Wow. Okay. Okay. So I thought that we're going to be talking about Pinochet and uh, Chile, which which we are. We're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. But but this is to me is actually 
really super interesting. I, I believe it's book five of Plato's Republic. I don't, I don't have that in front of me. I have a whole bunch of notes. Uh, and Plato's Republic is not part of those notes, but I believe it's book five of the Republic where Plato kind of loses his shit. He's <laughs> writing four books of uh, very beautiful, inspirational philosophy. And then there's about 20 pages on how, you know, these musicians and poets and this kind of thing, we, we got to keep them down. Right, right, because it's it's interesting because uh, that has has rung, rung through history uh, in 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 all so many different scenarios. But what I find interesting is I feel like with the commodification of so many things, it's like um, we've reached. I feel a really high point in 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 this uh, commodification of things and like finding new things to commodify mm-hmm. and and so music the fact that i i feel like capitalism has really gotten to be like really like m- sort of out of control more than it has been in the past and and you know like we're having this conversation i just kind of like want to remind me that this conversation is, I want to treat it like poetry. Like, we don't have to, I don't have to have all my facts straight. And I can say things that might not be exactly true. And, and then things, people might not agree with them. Fine. So like, I just want to share feelings and thoughts. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, like, I, um, I'm wondering, because you study, you study this too. Like, you study... I was studying human rights law for three years in Spain. Um, So I was theorizing what we in English language call the philosophy of law. So um, constitutional rights, what are the sorts of things that should be protected by the legal system? Uh, And I wrote a thesis about luck and random chance and the interplay of luck and random events in criminal trials. And then I went back to the United States and couldn't find work doing any of these academic disciplines that I was doing. So I got into another academic program, this PhD at University of Arizona. So all all this is to say this prior knowledge of U.S. foreign policy and human rights law, how the legal system is supposed to be working, really influenced the way I'm looking at history. I wanted to do a historical analysis of human rights violation, And you can do a cultural history of that through um, music and how music and the arts have been treated by the government of any country. You can take your pick. You can pick the United States or any country your listeners are in right now. They all 
have some sort of history of message music. I like that term. Uh, message music, uh, something that is politically, socially critical somehow, something that's making a point beyond, oh, baby, your love is so great. Um, and And you can see how politics and government has reacted to that. Right. Now, um, I'm going to interject something here. Um, you know, like with that, with that thing about like, baby, your love is, what did you say? Your love is so great? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, baby, That's your love too. is so great. That's some, yeah. But it's not, it's like, um, because it's, it's, it's an example of like where the artist is trying to please the record company and the record company is trying to please the money, you know, like trying the, to get people to buy. Right. And they, but the they, they number think of people to buy a product. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they also think that this is, uh, it's, it's I actually, I think that rather than go there, let's actually explore this thing with Pinochet. Yeah. Um, because it's probably related. So, so Chile, a lot of people don't know. Some, some Americans don't even know where Chile is. Chile, if you're, if you look at a map on Google, it's the long skinny bit on the Western coast of South America. Looks a lot like California, except it's a little longer and skinnier. Um, Chile elected a self-identified Marxist in 1970, Salvador Allende Gossens. And Allende was elected president. He's, people argue about whether he's the first or the second Marxist to come to power through democratic elections anywhere. It was a, it was a big event. Wait a second, the first or the second? Yeah. Who was the first? You can argue this guy in Spain back in the 30s. I don't think he really counts because of the peculiarities of what was going on in Spain in the 30s. Hmm. They had okay. their own they had their own sort of civil war and this guy was not as close to this guy was not as close to the Soviets as some people portray him. But Allende, Salvador Allende, was a, a medical doctor. His big thing was tuberculosis. And he was elected president of Chile democratically as somebody who called himself a Marxist. Um, and what's interesting about him is... At his inauguration, there was a banner over his head, which read, No hay revolución sin canciones. There is no revolution without song. Ah. And uh, Allende was supported by this whole musical movement called the New Chilean Song, La, La Nueva Canción Chilena, which was a little bit like the folk revival we had in the United States, but 
um, way more politically committed, way more affiliated with revolutionary left-wing politics. Right, right. And, uh, and, and also much more massive, also much more popular. Some of these rallies for the popular unity, which was Allende's government, had tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people marching in them. Uh, Chile's population was about 10 million people at the time, and they were getting 50, 80, 100,000 people marching in the streets, singing folk-inspired revolutionary songs. Right, right. Yeah. Chile is where is where we get the people united will never be defeated. That's ah. originally in Spanish. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. Wait, but did it have a melody to it? Yeah. Can you sing it? Sing the melody. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. El pueblo unido jamás será vencido. There's like three verses of song. I'll, I'll, I, should, I should go look this up and sing it at the end of the interview. Okay, you know what I'd also like uh, would be, um, I'd like to see a picture of that banner over yeah, Allende's probably, head. That's, that's probably available. Yeah, because to me, that hits right at it. Yeah. Because, you know, I mean, at this point, let's just, let's just come out and say it. I think that we both agree that a revolution is necessary. Um, yeah, yeah, that's fair. I mean, like, it might not even be... Revolution, it's, it's revolutions inevitable. have a lot of... Revolutions have a lot of winners, and because they have a lot of winners, they have a lot of losers. And they are, and they are usually violent, whether the, in, whether the intention is violent or not. They well, usually turn that way. Okay, see, I don't... Um, I'm going to sing you the song real quick. Yeah. Because uh, the song we wrote during the Martin Luther King March, the last one, and um, and then, yeah, I think the revolution will not be violent. We're gonna build it in our hearts. Our evolution is gonna change us as we take the patriarchy apart. The revolution will not be violent. Uh, because you are a part of me. This is a new verse. So I, um, um, oh, all the solutions will be revealed as we build the love economy. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like this revolution might be a unique one because I feel like violence... I mean, obviously, the revolution is in force already, I think. I think it's already begun, like, because that's where the pushback. What do you think? Interesting. I, I see this as a very 
dark period of history to be a revolutionary. Yeah. Uh, I don't see a lot of revolutionary energy like in the in the United States, for example, having having been involved in different activism for since 2008 or nine. I don't see that happening anytime soon. You, you don't see what happening anytime soon? A revolutionary moment. I've, it's where if if it happens, I'll 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 put it this way: if it happens, because because I could be wrong. Um, if if it happens, it's not getting organized along any conventional political lines. No, I think that it's 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 going to have to bypass the normal conventional because yeah. the anyway. I think you know what's hard about these conversations is because you know we could talk for hours i really it would be so much fun and i do want to have a little bit of focus and because we first started talking about pinochet and yeah and i love this conversation about allende and like because it seems like that was i can see why that was so threatening to our way yeah. of life, oh, yeah. to the this capitalist was a, world. This was a socialist who wanted to come to power. It, it's it's topical for what you're saying. I think it's topical for what for what you're saying. He he had this plan that he called La Revolución de las Empanadas y el Vino Tinto, the revolution of empanadas and red wine, um, which w- was everyone can get together and vote socialism into office this does not have to come to power violently he was very close with fidel castro and ernesto guevara in cuba uh he was a little more distant from the soviet union but he saw himself as a left-wing revolutionary in the tradition of Marx, Lenin, Mao, Stalin. The the difference is Allende was coming to power through democratic elections. Now, but was there in was there in violence that that was happening? There was at the time that he was elected. There was some right wing violence against the popular unity, against Allende's group, and against poor people. Uh the violence coming from the violence coming from the left wing was not uh really a major issue at that time the most violent thing anyone on the left was doing was um say illegal land takeovers chile has been one of the most unequal countries in the world it it's probably right now in 2022 it may be the most unequal country in the world. And uh, in the early 1970s, late 60s and early 70s, uh, peasants were taking over some land illegally and squatting on it to grow their crops and feed themselves. And once in a while, in one of those land occupations, somebody would die. Uh, But the the violence at that time was coming 
it, it depends on how you look at violence. The right, right, right. The right wing saw those activities as very violent because it's a crime against property. Right. Exactly. It's people. It's all these. It's all these people taking my property. I have uses for that property. What? What the hell are you guys doing? Right. You know. Um, but but in terms of physical violence against human life, most of that was coming from counter-revolutionaries from right-wing counter-revolutionaries against the left. Richard Nixon, when uh, when Allende was elected, we had, the United States government had poured about $7 million into the election campaign of the right-wing candidate. And when Allende was elected um when Allende was elected, Nixon has this quote. He goes up to Henry Kissinger and says, I want you to do everything in your power to make Chile's economy scream. So economic sanctions, boycotts against Chile, uh, support, United States support for uh, several military coup attempts between 1970 and 73 and all the while chile is exporting this music the the new chilean song to other countries of the world there oh were, wow yeah. wow wait i gotta hear these songs so like they were exporting songs yeah oh yeah there was a government record label called the the Discotheque of Popular Song, La Discoteca del Canto Popular, was the official record label of the government run by the communist youth, run by Las Juventudes Comunistas. Okay, uh, wait, wait, wait. Like, he's writing down. Oh yeah, well, <laughs> are you going to, um, because I'm, I'm going to forget these, these links and stuff, and I want to really, this sounds so cool. Yeah. So say that, like, what is it? Spell it out in Spanish. The, what? The the name of the record company. Their rec is called El Discoteca. D I S C O, like discotheque with an A on it. But I don't know how to spell discotheque. D I S C O. Yeah. T E C A. La, la Discoteca del D E L. Yeah. Del Canto. C A N T O. Yeah. And then the word popular, popular, popular song. Okay. La, la discoteca so the, the, del canto popular. Okay, great. And um, they, those records are available. And, and was that song that you were singing, you know, like the... the, the uh, uh, Venceremos was, yeah, was by maybe the biggest band at that time, Quilapayun. Wow. Yeah. So all this stuff is going to be, is this the kind of thing that's going to be in your, uh, um, in your book? This is chapter one. <laughs> like, uh, with all the, uh, uh, are you going to include samples of this stuff? Like for, for copyright reasons? The, no, there's not going to be like a multimedia component yet, but there's, Footnotes. There's academic footnotes to where you can find all of these songs 
Okay. They're right. all, that, 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 they that. all have YouTube. They're, all, of this is good. all of this is very available on any streaming service that you want. So do we have to wait for your your book to come out to to get these links and stuff? Well, you can you can just look up La Nueva Canción Chilena. You can just look up the new Chilean song and Okay, say some that of again. It's right new, there. La Nueva La Nueva N U E V A is new. Yeah. Canción. Yeah. You know that word song? Right. Chilena. C-H-I-L-E-N-A. The the new Chilean wait, song. Wait, C-H-I-L-E-N-A. E-N-A. La Nueva Canción Chilena, the new Chilean song. For those of you that are familiar with your 1960s Marxism, uh, Che Guevara had this theory, el... Sobre el nuevo hombre socialista, about the new socialist man. Um, and these people were very inspired by that. Guevara was saying, we have to take capitalist man and uh, create something new in order that capitalist man dies out. And there's a new stage of human evolution to socialist man. Wow. Yeah. He called it human evolution? Oh, yeah. Wow, because that's exactly what I believe. Like, I believe that it's it's actually it's a, like a physical evolution. It's like our brains need to evolve to where we can handle all this technology and and go beyond, you know, what capitalism has done to our brains. So, so Che Guevara was writing about really similar stuff all through the 60s wow i got it so i i could just like he has like books out yeah um marxists.org is a website where you'll see everything guevara has written translated to english and a lot of allende's thought a lot of salvador allende's thought okay so so how do you spell che guevara is g-u-e V-A-R-A, Guevara. He's the one on all the T-shirts. Right, right. But He's I, the one on everybody's, you know. Yeah. And then there's also, okay, and then there's, there's Allende. Okay. I want to, I, I want to, you know, I mean, I, I've read stuff, read books about Che, you know. Yeah. Um, but... I don't know if I've like ever read any of his writings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it seems like these revolutions in the past, we have to remember that the violence against poor people went way before. Like, so like when you yeah. we talk about like violent revolutions, we're already like, we have to acknowledge that the violence ha- had been happening for a long time. Marxist theory talks about violence as being baked into the structure of capitalist economics. Right. You had to have violence from a very early date to get people off of the land and into cities. So you had to take their farmland away. You had to force them 
into uh, getting used to wage labor instead of laboring for their food. If you look at the work of somebody like Eric Hobsbawm, who's a Marxist, who's a Marxist historian, uh, he shows that in 1500 in England, people were working maybe 17 to 20 hour weeks. And by 1700 in England, people were working 60 to 65 hour weeks. How, why did that happen? And at the same time, people were working twice and maybe three times as long. Their caloric intake was lower and they were dying of more preventable diseases and uh, their life expectancy was total, total shit for the English poor well up into the 20th century. So capitalism, uh, by, by any way you slice it, the transition from agrarian economies to capitalism has been a very violent one. And it's a violence that's largely invisible against poor people and against people who are working for a wage. So when the, when the conservatives or, or right-wingers talk about socialism and how violent it is, the Soviet revolutionary process was very violent. There were gulags, there were labor camps, there was education through work, uh, the Chinese Cultural Revolution and the Great Leap Forward were uh, violent times when socialist states were using violence as a revolutionary tool. Um, well, that's nothing new. The violence has been going on before socialism was a thing and before capitalism was a thing. And and I would tell you, this is just my own politics coming out, but I would tell you that capitalism has been more violent than socialism if you want to play that particular game. Well, can I, can I, I'm going to jump in here, and I know that we're going far afield from music in a certain way, but I think the difference is, is that capitalism actually needs violence. It's actually, to me, capitalism is... Without violence, it can't exist. It doesn't work. And yeah. that's demonstrated by any revolutionary theorist that you read. Anybody from Marx to any of the Panthers, any of the Black Panthers, to Che Guevara, to Salvador Allende, who we were talking about in Chile, to, uh, to what's going on in Sudan right now. There's a vibrant student activist movement, uh, very influenced by revolutionary theory, and it's getting repressed by military capitalism. Right, and and it's like it, it's like a shark; it, it needs to keep swimming. Because if and, it doesn't grow, it dies. Right. If it does, it's literally, seriously, and 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 whatever cost. And so, like the one of the basic tenets of of capitalism is that greed is, you know, like just thinking about yourself and not caring about anyone else is uh, 
A How little bit functions. of that is good. A little yeah. bit of that is good. But a I mean, basic the, the, tenant the, of that of capitalism is that a little bit of greed is is a good thing to have because the world is based on scarcity. There isn't there isn't enough to go around. There isn't enough widgets to go around. There isn't enough money to go around. That's why we have to be competing for things. That's why when you fill out a job application to work at McDonald's, you're competing against 80 other people and 80 other fools didn't get that job working fast food. Right. That you did. And, and it needs that desperation. Yeah. Capitalism needs people to be desperate. Yeah. You, like, these are things like... like it, 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 Anyway, I think let's we're going a little far away. Uh, so I think um, to pull it back, I'd like to find out what you know. Like you were you were saying, like Pinochet was attacking musicians and artists, right? Eventually, what happens? What happens in Chile is the situation under Salvador Allende, the, the democratically elected socialist, gets... Uh, there, there's some mismanagement of the economy by the government, and then there's a lot of foreign sanctions. The United States was meddling in Chile big time. Um, and they were paying money to... Um, they were paying money to retail store owners to hoard food and keep food away from the poor neighborhoods and the farmers. So you have a socialist country where Allende has to give a speech in early September of 1973, and he says there's bread for three or four more days. We're, we're running out of bread. Chile is the world leader in the consumption of bread. By the by, the way, uh, oh now, and and they were right up there in the seventies. Okay, and bread is a very very important part of everybody's diet because it's a, it's been a poor country ever since Spanish colonial times. Uh, br- bread is with every meal. That is not the country to have a gluten allergy. Yeah, if you have a gluten allergy, don't. You will have a rough time in Chile. Um, so the the military eventually launches a coup, and they'd done they'd attempted this about four other times. R- right after Allende, before Allende actually took office, there was a general who was assassinated who wouldn't do a coup, who wouldn't support a coup against the democratically elected government and René Schneider was assassinated by right-wing students and uh, there was a there was a musician Victor Jara who wrote a song uh, to the tune of Little Boxes by Imelda May Pete Seeger and he called it Las Casitas del Barrio Alto the, the little houses uptown about where the assassins are living. Yeah. So he was very, so where the assassins of the general were living. Yeah. So music, it sounds like, was really. 
music important. was a really big deal and it yeah. was and it was about topical there was a lot of music about topical events and uh, and people were consuming it it was being bought and sold it was being bought and sold as a consumer product there was a whole concert circuit for this music in the in the peñas in the listening clubs and they were like they were a lot like jazz clubs are here in the states you're supposed to go you're not supposed to be talking all the time you're supposed to be kind of chilling out listening to the listening to the music and uh and getting politically educated right right but but i mean it was also was it participatory but some of it there yeah. was there was a whole range there was a whole there's there's rallies where thousands of people are chanting the people united will never be defeated and then there's folk songs that sound a lot like Joan Baez like the mother of the the mother of the new Chilean song was this woman named Violeta Parra who sang alone with a guitar Violeta mhm Violeta pa like violet with an with an a on it and the last name Parra P A R R A Okay and she was a songwriter and she, she was a songwriter and an anthropologist and a journalist and did a lot of things with her life yeah okay so you know like getting back to your this book dissertation that there will be a book um what what drew you to want to focus on this like why did you pick this for your dissertation this topic I'm a I'm a musician for people that don't know that are listening to this. Like I'm a I'm a jazz musician. Um so I'm very aware through the history of jazz as uh jazz can be a very political genre of music in its own right and it was created out of American Jim Crow and racism. So there's a whole political legacy to the music that I do. Um uh but I've all but I've always been very skeptical of the ability of music to make long-lasting political change in society. So I was so I was literally going at this from like the the angle of what's what's going to be interesting in terms of the academic job market so i i'm curious like uh, say that again what you you your, your doubts about music in the uh yeah um i'm i'm really skeptical of the ability of music to transform society in a way that will help bring about political change or social justice. Okay, I'm I'm curious as to what you base that on. Um I I would base that on historical I would base that on historical events. Um if you look at the United States example, 
the 60s and early 70s is kind of famous for music of the civil rights movement. Um, And that's one part of the picture where music and and particularly sing-alongs, participatory sing-alongs, brought uh, communities of activists, particularly along black, white, racial lines. Not always. There was, I'm simplifying this story. Yeah. But there's this narrative that music brought activist communities together and allowed for reaching across racial lines that had been dividing the United States ever since we became a slave society. Music was really inspirational to people like Dr. King. Music. There was this whole protest song movement in the 60s with, uh, for the first time, uh, a, a little bit of this was happening in the 30s with people like Woody Guthrie, but the thing in the 60s was much more massive, where you had people, white people, for lack of a better word, singing about coming together racially in this country. And then in the uh, in the 70s, all of this musical community seems to fragment and break apart so that by the end of the 70s about 85% of rock records were being produced by white people and sold to white people okay I, i'm going to i'm going to jump in here yeah uh i would say that most music and then this is like i'm not i don't know how um knowledgeable i really am but my sense is that um, most music has been, been produced by white people in this country. Uh, most jazz, yeah, uh, that's fair. You know, like in terms of like on the on the business end, you know? that's fair. Yeah. So, uh, and I do feel like that. Um, but yeah, but ahead. by the but by the end of the seventies, the. You started seeing people in the 50s and 60s, you started seeing white performers perform black music, for instance. Jazz groups were integrating racially. Um, The British invasion was hugely inspired and motivated by the blues tradition, and that started getting really popular. You started seeing more mixture of performers it got more racially integrated in terms of who was performing different types of music and also who was listening to different types of music and then by the end of the 70s and the 80s those racial divisions had retrenched themselves and a lot of rock was getting performed for white people by white people and a lot of disco and soul was getting performed for a community that was becoming less less and less white by a base of performers that was 
becoming less and less white. That's why, like, there's the famous Disco Sucks rally in Chicago. Right. Where, and that was white rage. Yeah, that yeah, was totally. racist white rage. Mostly, right. mostly racist white male rage. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know, there was a country and rock DJ who told everybody to come to the Chicago White Sox game and burn all their disco records. And they ended up, there was a field invasion with thousands and thousands of dudes on the field at Comiskey Park in Chicago screaming, Disco sucks! Disco sucks! Oh, yeah. Jumping on the, literally jumping on disco records and burning them. Right. And there's a lot of racist... Uh, these these divisions in society that music did help heal in the in the 60s were all very much in place again by the late 70s and early 80s and something way more drastic happened in Chile okay so so we're getting back to so what when, what what more drastic happened in Chile well in Chile there was a coup in on September 11th, 1973, before the United States had September 11th, uh, Chile had its own September 11th, which was when the chiefs of the military branches uh, came together and took over the government by force. And there was Air Force jets bombing the presidential palace with Dr. Allende still inside. Okay, wait, wait. That's this is what what was the date of that again? That was 9/11, like September 11th of 1973. Oh, I see. Okay, right. So, uh and, right. And what happened uh the people were people were asked to report to the military authorities lists of thousands of people and they would just put it out on the radio we need paul ruffner to report to the to report to the local military regiment for questioning and a lot of these people were musicians and artists or trade union organizers or anybody that was affiliated with the agenda presidency that had just been overthrown. Now, I just want to ask you, was, was that a bigger deal than what was happening here with uh, the McCarthy hearings, the un, uh, you know, un-American activities? Like, I, were they bringing in artists and, and you know? The, I would say, yes, this is a bigger deal because they were... Um, physically torturing and killing the artists in Chile. Okay. There wasn't much of that uh, going on. There was some of that going on. Paul Robeson was clearly assassinated by United States intelligence, for instance. There there was some of that going on here. Uh, Paul, Paul Robeson was drugged to death and uh, poisoned over a very long period of time. Right. Uh, 
there there was some of that going on uh but in chile there were literally thousands of people getting rounded up in the country's sports stadiums were getting used as makeshift prison camps to hold thousands or tens of thousands of people for months at a time. Okay, I remember when, I, when you first told me about this, I, um, I wrote something about how if we all, because I, I feel like this is, this is the kind of history that's really important in the sense of helping us to, to see the future. Yeah. And uh, so <clears throat> there's no reason to think that this can't happen here, right? I, I would say it is happening here, too. Uh, there are political disappearances in this country every week. There, there are water protectors at Standing Rock that have just gone missing. There's a lot of, a lot of the abuses of African Americans in this country. A lot of the abuses of racial blackness. There are still, uh, there are still black people that die violently and. Nobody knows how, and it was probably government that was doing it. Okay, yeah, but th- I mean, I'm talking about musicians. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the mu- musicians are everywhere. So, you know, Standing Rock, just Standing Rock was a very musical movement. And that was broken up, you know, that was napalmed that was napalmed from the air by off-duty National Guardsmen. I mean, they had their own radio station broadcasting out a standing rock, and it was literally napalmed from the air. That's not something that a lot of people know about. Oh, yeah. People will call that a conspiracy theory. And I, uh, and I know some individuals that that has happened to, and it's capital T true. You know. Okay, so but I I, I want to the, the the reason I was mentioning that about that it you know it can happen here yeah and and you were saying that you had these concerns that you had these doubts that that music can really help this revolution along which I think that you did say agreed with me in the beginning that a revolution is necessary yeah I think a revolution is necessary yeah yeah so. Do you feel like you but do you think it's possible? Um this this right now is a particularly bad time to try and start one. Um it's it's always possible because the revolutionary impulse is never going to go away and it's going to um actually get bigger and bigger. Right now, what we're seeing through inflation, I mean, everybody's bank account is worth 10% less than it was a year ago. Yeah. Literally everybody that is, okay, uh, you know, a, a working, a working class person, by which I mean somebody that's not 
living entirely on stocks, stock markets, stock markets booming. Uh, the you know people are complaining about Russia invading Ukraine. Y'all have lost four percent on your four hundred one ks or something this year. Uh, other other people are losing ten and fifteen percent on their wage labor, and they've been losing that ever since the Great Reset of twenty nineteen and twenty twenty. So for uh, for working people and the poor this is uh this is a really bad time economically and those times do feed into revolutionary processes that'll make the that'll make the number of people who want and need a revolution larger okay right, right oh i thought you were saying it's a bad I mean, in a way, you're saying it's a good time because it's it's more necessary now than ever. Right, but right. it's a but it's a very bad time from the point of view of uh, organization, uh, the 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 organized left in the United States has its head up its ass. Well, you know, uh, the, it's hard. It's hard because one of the actually. I think another of the requirements for capitalism is that people be desperate. Yeah. Like it, it needs desperate people to function. Yeah. So, and that's what we got right now. We got a lot of desperate people that just like they, to be like an activist is like the last thing that they are able that to do. That anybody can even do because right. people and, uh, are trying to be feeding their families. Right. And yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a particularly privileged person that... I do have some extra time, you know, yeah. and so like, and like I, 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 for me, like I want to put it into music because I feel like music is, um, so powerful. Yeah, and and so that's why I want to uh, really have this conversation, you know, because I want to find out. Obviously, music was really important. Like they had that banner. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. And they had a, they had song festivals all over the world. They so, had revolutionary song festivals all over the what we call the Eastern Bloc. I would love to try to find out more about that and try to like maybe model ourselves because I feel like that's the thing. One thing that's really missing from a lot of activism that that I partake in. There isn't a lot of joy. There isn't a lot of happiness. Right. And and for some and I think that yeah, people because, are very cross. If you go to say your local Democratic First Democratic Socialists of America or or Party for Socialism and Liberation or the People's Party, if you go to these meetings, they're full of a lot of very cross, desperate humans. And and they actually don't seem to a lot of them don't are, are kind of afraid of music. I mean that, you know, like I mean that's in our country, the fear of music is actually a real thing, um, and and I think that uh, that also, you know, because you know when the music industry was really at its height, you know, when it was actually making like so much money for people, um, it it couldn't do that without people being afraid of it. Like to think that they couldn't do it, like to 
make people believe that only certain people can make music. Yeah. And so I think that that fear, you know, is really with us. And so like, that's my job is extra. Like that's, that's part of my job is yeah. to try to help people overcome their fear of music. So that like, when we have these activist meetings and stuff, like I was at, at one where, um, during the break, I just started singing the song Imagine with the added verse about Imagine No Police Force. Okay. And uh, the whole, it was like completely, it was like night and day. You know, people were like, the, their mood shifted so much just from singing the yeah. song. You know? Oh, yeah. So it's really important. And I, and I think to hear about like this, so you have this uh, movement, this uh, revolutionary movement with Allende at the forefront, right? Right. Like, and so he gets into office, and, obvi- and the first... Would you think that he would, say, would have said that um, music... That he couldn't have done it without music? Yeah. Okay. He, he was very upfront about that. At the end of the government... He gives this famous speech while the Air Force is literally bombing the radio station. He gives, uh, it was the army shelling the radio station. Uh, he, he gives this speech where he says thank you to the students of Chile who are marching through the streets with their songs of happiness and optimism. Wow, was he... And, then was he assassinated? And those are some of his last words to the country before some people say he was assassinated. Some people say he committed suicide. Uh, personally, I think he probably committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, because sometimes people do that as part of their activism yeah. because they just don't want to participate in like. And then you see that it's really is, you know, when when he. When he was found dead, just so everybody has some context here, this question of whether he was assassinated or whether he committed suicide is really irrelevant. And and the reason why it's really irrelevant is because whatever happened to him, the Air Force was literally bombing the presidential palace with him in it. Mm, with him okay. and the government inside it and they were bombing it and and broadcasting the bombing over national radio right so, and you know where they got those bombs right from the united states and yeah. britain they were using hawker hunters which were old british uh planes old british korean war 1950s era planes Right, right. Uh, that they that they were all getting from the United States. They'd gotten those specific planes that bombed the presidential palace in February of 1973, and by September of 1973, there were two of them bombing the seat of government with the president still inside it. And and then the and then the military goes and uh, 
rounds up all these rounds up all these musicians. Everyone that had done the new Chilean song was in grave danger for their lives. Victor Jara, who was probably the most famous guy, um, Latin Americans compare him to Bob Dylan, to like a Bob Dylan figure. Um, he was arrested and taken off of the university campus where he was where he was a professor and a teacher. Uh, he was arrested and taken to a sports stadium and brutally tortured, had his hands and wrists shattered so he could never play music again. Some of this was done publicly in front of, you know, dozens of people who were getting made to watch this shit. And then eventually somebody shot him in the head. So, so the military reaction against the musicians was very physically brutal. There was another guy, we, we talked briefly about Violeta Parra. Well, her son, Angel Parra, was uh, arrested and taken to a prison camp in the north and uh, systematically starved, deprived of food and water for months as a, as a way to torture this guy. And then when he was eventually let out of prison, there was the Catholic Church pressured the government to let him out of prison. When he was let out of prison, he comes back to activist music and he writes uh, the score for a theater production that gets closed down by the military. So he has to exile himself to France. A lot of these people, musicians, literally had to escape and run for their lives. Or, or they were just killed off. The military kind of admitted to this in so many words. There was a propaganda film on the last on the first anniversary of the coup. So the coup happens September 11th of 73. And on September 11th of 74, Radio Agricultura, which is a right-wing radio station that's still around today, puts out this documentary of the coup where the guy goes, now Chile listens to different music. You don't hear the long-haired students shaking their fists and shouting messages of hate. Right, right. That, that, that's so familiar. The military was very open about repressing political music and destroying the listening clubs where this was getting produced and uh, putting, putting musicians' names on hit lists and this kind of deal. That was literally happening for the first three or four years of military rule. After you told me about that you were writing this, I posted something or I included it in a newsletter or something like that about how if we're all musical, if we're all musicians, 
They're not putting all of us in jail. Yeah, they, they can't, can't put they us can't all. Put all of us in jail. Right. Yeah. And this just reminds me of that, and I think it's it's another reason why it's really important because it feels like it's getting closer and closer. Uh, like I know that you said like it already is happening, and it's true. You know, and and when you think of like the whole world, the way this. You know, because it affects the whole world. Our 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 country is like you know we're the we we we're you know we're, we're running the this world. Most powerful military. We're either the largest or the second largest economy, depending on how you measure the thing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And that's that's we're a funny the thing about hegemon economies. It's it's like you, how do you measure it? Yeah. Like, but anyway, um, uh, so. I, I think it's really valuable to, to hear about this, like, um, you know, both like the the revolution, like this sounds like a, such a beautiful revolution, really, uh, Allende, like, I mean, I don't know, like I, I could be, you know, rose-colored looking at him uh, because I want to, you know? Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't know, it sounds pretty like poetic, like he sounds like a poet in the, a certain kind of way. The people who participated in it, a lot of the musicians and artists who participated in it, and there was, just so people understand, music was part of it, but there was really vibrant murals going on, revolutionary murals going right. on. There were... There was cinema going on. Um, theater. Chile is a really theater-loving country. They have been literally. They have been since Spanish colonial times. Theater's been a really big deal. So there was a lot of street theater. So I'm so I'm studying specifically, kind of narrowly, the musical side, but all of culture. This time when Allende was in power was a time of a lot of cultural bubbling up. Um, and and a lot of the people remember it as the best, happiest time of their lives to be producing culture. Right. I mean, and, and that, that there's nothing. I mean, that, that 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 should always be the case. Like, it's just that's the reality. Like, because that's we're just born we're designed from the ground up to be creative, artistic, and that's how we communicate. Mm -hmm. You know, we communicate through the arts. Mm -hmm. That's our deepest communication. And um, we we evolved to do it. We yeah. quite literally evolved to do it. Music, yeah, exactly. Music probably happened uh, to create a sort of strength in numbers thing. So predators wouldn't come eat our ass somebody said that that, that um, singing predates language i wouldn't doubt it yeah yeah i wouldn't doubt that at all i wouldn't because, doubt that one bit right because actually when you think about it in a picture us animals amongst all the animals like we really are our, our superpower and you know, compared to all the other animals was our social our socialness. Yeah. And, and so like to be able to sing 
Like we're in communities of millions of people, like building cities. The lions aren't doing that. Yeah, the, like they, 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 they right. The, but I mean, when you think about like just like taking down a mammoth, for instance, a woolly mammoth. Yeah. Uh, no other animal could do that. Like, we're the only ones that were able. Sixty of us in a group. Yeah. Coordinating over miles and miles, y'all. You know, I'm leading a group that's coming at the mammoth herd from the north, and you're leading a group that's coming at the mammoth herd from the south, and we're literally like two valleys away from each other. So we planned a week ago. Somebody had a meeting and goes, right, right. We, looked, we talked in advance. If we said, Ruffner's Valley comes from the north and Best Valley comes from the south, we're going to have some mammoth for the winter, you know. Like, but also, I mean, I think that they could do it without even language, like with just singing, you know, just like with, you know, woohoo, you know, yeah, yeah, you know, like, and they're out there, well, you know, there's talking drums, there's right, a whole right. bunch of cultures that use talking drums where the drums the the beats of the drum are literally like a morris code telling people right about events right about yeah. news about events about births and deaths and marriages and this and that oh man yeah. so like drums actually might have been also predating language where like these rhythms would 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 express ideas, yeah. you know, and 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 before people were even well, you know, what happened at the same time. means yeah, oh, yeah. Somebody was born, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. So um, somebody was born. It's a girl. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you know. Okay, so so obviously, it's very like an essential part of us, and so uh, whereas like. You know, I don't know. We could really go crazy into this minutia of dissecting <clears throat> this whole thing. Like with c- capitalism, is such a such a difficult conversation. It's such a weird word because everyone has different ideas of what it means. Really, I think you know, and it's like so vilified, and it's so you know, some people love it. Yeah, and some people love it, and some people some hate people it. Some people absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but if and so they don't love it when you talk about it in derogatory. They don't love it when you talk about it doing bad things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. And then they get suspicious, and then they shut you down. Yeah. So anyway, um, I don't know. Um, do you feel like is there is more stuff that you want to tell me about Allende's? Well, revolution and and pinochet's well i mean the um, way all this the way all this ended in the 80s was there was a lot of economic crisis uh between 83 and 85 chile had the worst economic crisis since the great depression maybe maybe it was actually a little worse for some groups of people it was maybe a little worse than the Great Depression was. Um, and Chile, for people that don't know, implemented uh, Milton Friedman, who is the guy that creates this doctrine that we call Reaganomics in America, that 
the the government has to get smaller and we have to give we have to be privatizing everything um milton friedman met with general pinochet augusto pinochet took over from salvador allende in the military coup and milton friedman has meetings with pinochet over months this is not just like one this is not just like one meeting. Wow, I did not know that. Milton Friedman, wow. the guy who founded Reaganomics, has meetings with Pinochet and with the leaders of the military junta. Uh, where so so the Chilean economy, even today to this day, is a model for what Reagan and Margaret Thatcher wanted to do in the United States and they couldn't do it because of the democratic pushback. They got a lot, they got a lot of it, but, uh, Chile is where the whole idea of the 401k started. They call it the AFP. Chile was the first country in the world to move away from a social security system, the whole 20th century, ever since the Mexican Revolution, uh, before the Soviet Union was even a thing, ever since the Mexican Revolution in 1910, uh, government had been helping people retire and having the social safety net. And Chile was the first country in the world that had a social safety net and decided, no, we're going to dismantle the social safety net. All of y'all need to be paying for your retirement through investing in the stock market. Oh, like that's where that idea came from. And now Americans are being bamboozled to invest in the stock market because government is too busy you know, spending money on giving money to the neo-Nazis in Ukraine instead of paying for people's retirement. We don't want to be doing that. That all, that whole idea came from the Pinochet administration in Chile, and Chile was the test case. And the Republicans in the 80s here in the States were very proud about Chile being the test case for this. So there was another there was another cultural moment where things got where things were really really bad for working class Chileans. Uh w- wealthy Chileans benefited big time in this period of military rule. There are still a lot of Chileans today who look at this period of military rule like a, like a good time for them. Oh yeah. Cuz cuz a lot of people won out. There were uh, there were a lot of winners. Uh but but there was another cultural sort of sort of revolutionary process where in 1988 Pinochet calls an election, calls a national vote, and says, y'all have two options. You can either vote for 
me to be in power until 1996 or seven, I think until 97, you can either vote for me to be in power again another eight years and really finish off this Marxist communist threat that I've been dealing with. Or you can have uh, representative elections with political parties functioning and uh, a working Congress and this kind of deal. And the no campaign, the no campaign is against eight more years of Pinochet, used culture in a huge way on their campaign spots. They were only given 15 minutes a day for the no campaign. They, they, they said there was, there, there was this television program for the month before the election. And yes, campaign wants Pinochet to be continuing for another eight years. And no campaign wants to get rid of him and have more of an electoral democracy going on. And so, so the government is saying, like, this is equal. We're giving no and the yes equal time. When really, like, government controlled all the TV channels. So you're, you're, giving, you're giving yes. You're, you're giving the no campaign 15 minutes every day. And calling that equal time because the yes campaign also had 15 minutes every day. But the yes campaign also had the other 23 hours and a half of the day, you know. So so the no campaign that wants to get rid of Pinochet has 15 minutes to spread their message every day for four weeks. And it wasn't even quite four weeks because the government canceled one of their campaign spots. And about 10 to 12 minutes of all of their campaign spots, they only have like 15 minutes a day. And maybe 10 minutes of that every day is different things dealing with music and the arts and culture to show what the possibilities could be if we say no to authoritarianism in the vote. Well, wait a second. I just want to be clear. So you're saying that they decided that, that they said, okay, we're only getting 15 minutes. Yeah. So let's devote a big chunk of this to music and the arts. Like to, to, over half of their programming. Right. Like some some days, almost all of it to uh, they would have spots where they would go like, this is all the censored music from Cuba, from another socialist country that y'all can't listen to because the government is censoring it. This is the music that y'all are missing. That you oh, so they were able to play music that was normally censored? Yes. Uh, during the 15 minutes? Because it's the quote-unquote equal time to be expressing your viewpoints. Wow, that was very generous of permission. <laughs> yeah, I was really big of them. <laughs> yeah. I was really big of them to do. Um, you know, and they would have, uh, what's, what's the guy? Sting. Sting would come on TV and do... Uh, 
the song They Dance Alone, which was number one in Britain, and I think it was number two or three on the USA charts, was about women, the mothers and family members of disappeared, executed political prisoners would go in front of the military barracks and perform the Chilean national dance, the cueca, which is which is meant to be danced in cisgender pairs. That's meant to be danced with a man and a woman and the and the male taking the lead part. But they would have women dancing this alone with photographs of their missing men. You know, and then Sting is on a concert tour to Chile and writes this song, They Dance Alone. Huh. Ellas wow. bailan solas. Well, I'm I'm more um impressed with Sting than I than I have been. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um so there was a lot of help from Western musicians and Chilean musicians in exile who had learned to play music for new audiences and the, and they weren't singing so much about uh class struggle and socialist revolution and and this and that the lyrical content of their music underwent big changes to be talking about happiness and the future their their whole theme song was called Chile la alegría ya viene. Chile happiness is on the way. Wait wait, whose theme song? The the no campaign to get rid of the military rule. Okay. So they were trying to be cheerful deliberately, like as a like as a marketing strategy for no votes. Wait, uh, cuz wait wait a sec. The no votes that was like against Pinochet. The no votes is Pinochet is bad. That's another little trick that he pulled. Yes means I'm good. Oh, so he meant it to be confusing like that. He literally meant it to be confusing the shit out of the population. Because it got me. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> right? So, um, so you're saying that the, 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 no, the, the people that wanted to get him out. And, and I made that mistake once. Okay. I, I, sw- I mixed up. Yes and no, because it's literally confusing to us historians 40 years later. You know, no, the no vote means get rid of Pinochet. The no vote means authoritarianism is bad. And so the people that wanted him out, um, their campaign, they were using this happy, cheerful music. And what was their intent there? Well, to show people, because because a large sectors of society supported the original coup against Allende. Yeah, okay. There were massive strikes by the end of, of socialism. There were huge work stoppages. And some of that's coming from the left wing that wants more that wants more from the socialist government than they're getting. And some of that's coming from the right wing that is like really scared about socialism. And they're going to take all our property away, boys. 
They're going to take all our property away and we're all going to be living like Cuba and Venezuela and we're all going to be half starved. That was a big propaganda thing like food insecurity. There's no food anymore. Everybody's waiting in these bread lines and it's taking people eight hours, 10 hours, 12 hours to get through the bread lines. Well, that that, that, that was real. That that, that was and also but it was also sanctions by the U.S. Oh, yeah. It was it was real. It was real events. There were these bread lines that were taking people all day to get through and they couldn't go to their jobs because they were too busy literally chilling out, standing in line, trying to buy bread for their families. But it was also very manufactured because the owners of the big grocery stores were just refusing to distribute food. There was warehouses literally full of food just chilling out and rotting. Well, yeah, so, okay. So in the 80s, like fast-forwarding 15 more years, there there was a lot of society and not all, it wasn't all just rich fat cats. There was a lot of society that was very happy to see this military coup because it brought what people felt like was economic security there was food on the on the shelves in the stores you had to pay outrageous prices for it cuz everything's privatized and neoliberalized but there was food on the stores there weren't these massive rallies of long-haired students singing about we're going to take down the man you know that was very disturbing for people these large public rallies with the nueva canción folk music well that reminds you know that's kind of like the black lives matter thing it's a lot like black lives matter like seeing black lives matter and having a lot of comrades in in portland when they were going through the worst of the riots and things uh the parallels were really strong were really strong parallels because people were shook up by kind of the block party atmosphere that was happening at some of these events. Yeah. People were really shook up by the fact, like, on the one hand, these people are making really radical political demands, and they're all happy about it, and they're jumping up and dancing while they're doing it. And I think that shook people up. I think that while it inspires some people to join the revolution it made other it made other people from a different background or somebody who had had their business taken over or something like that go like y'all are ruining the country and you're dancing about it well you like, know also <laughs> um you know music is a vulnerable thing to participate in you know like so it's a big ask anybody that's anybody that's ever tried to organize a sing-along knows that sometimes your audience is not ready for what you're putting out yeah and so like people who aren't you know like really in on it 
are also more likely to want to suppress it just because it's it's scary on that level because it's frightening to them on yeah. a visceral emotional level right it's frightening. and that's what we have going on here and so like i think that it's really i think it would be good to kind of wrap this up then unless yeah. you there are specific things that you want to uh talk about yeah uh well but, the, well this well we can just look at chile and bring and bring this experience up to right now because what it's saying is really instructive I think, for the USA reality. We had this thing in the 60s, which was a lot of revolutionary song going on. We had... You're talking about here? In in Chile. In Chile. Chile. Okay. We had this thing in the 60s, a lot of revolutionary song going on, and the revolutionary musicians were close to the socialist government. And then the socialist government gets overthrown in a coup, and the revolutionary musicians are very repressed. We've talked about that. You know, they're literally rounding people up and, and publicly torturing people, uh, publicly torturing musicians and artists to suppress, you know, uh, to suppress the revolutionary impulse. They were, they were using revolutionary music in torture sessions like while they would be torturing you they would be playing some of your favorite music about fighting the man Hmm. so it literally makes all of these good memories into horrible shitty memories wow so then in the 80s we just went through this like the no campaign had to really change up their tactics and figure out how do we do this music in a way that brings some people onto our side and makes us and and makes and and makes us look less threatening and and in a way that succeeded there was there was democracy there was at least elections with political parties going on and hmm. congress representative congress and this and that and then in 2019 there there were protests in 2001 and and in 2011 again in 2011 there was actually a pretty big movement but there was nothing really shaking up the political system you still had this system where there was a democracy, but it's still a very neoliberal, extremely capitalist country. Chile is a capitalist paradise. Everything is privatized. A, a, a good middle-class wage is about $500 a month, about 500 United States dollars a month. And if you go into a store in Chile right now, it's all USA prices. Okay, so like, so this, you know, really, it's messed up, yeah. obviously. So um, now this, 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 this revolution, uh, you know, was would you say it was ultimately successful? Which which revolution? The Allende. No, no, it got over. It got totally repressed. Well, the thing is, if you take any moment of time until, for a while there, it was successful, right? 
there was about six or seven really good months. Okay. And okay. then some and then some cracks started to show. Right. And and those are all but would you say that those cracks were mostly caused by US intervention in some way? No. No. I, okay. I think that's I think that's I I I do think that was absolutely part of it because there's proof that there was large-scale U.S. intervention. There was an entire series of hearings before the Senate called the Church Committee in 1977 and 8. So only a few years after the military coup, it was already coming out like before the United States Congress that CIA was intervening in Chile and doing a whole bunch of illegal activities. Um, so U.S. intervention was definitely happening. But I think it's an oversimplification to to just go all of the people that were against the all of the people that were against Allende are like bought and paid for United States stooges. I don't think. Right. I don't think it was that big of an intervention, to be totally honest. Okay. Okay. There, you know, um, um, one thing is one thing is paying a whole bunch of money for anti-Allende attack ads in the media, and another thing, on a whole different level, is a quarter of society is totally believing it and crying out for a coup. There were there were demonstrations of women. Food by by nineteen seventy two, food shortages were becoming a problem. Uh, okay, and, yeah. And some of that was manufactured. Some of that was manufactured by the counter revolutionaries, and some of it was real economic mismanagement. These people that were running the socialist government were not trained economists. Right. And and there and there was some mismanagement that was going down. So like a year before the military coup, you had thousands of women in the streets banging their empty cooking pots together as a as a protest of food scarcity, calling for someone, anyone to intervene and take this government out. Right, 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 right. Okay, you know, so you know, I mean, it's hard, you know, in this world where we are. Like, and so that that's good to to know that that it, this it's going to be difficult. It's, yeah, it's going to be. And but the thing is, we need music. Maybe we totally need music. Like, so maybe that's how we can end. There's like, a whole there's a whole revolutionary moment in Chile right now. They're they're making a new constitution. Because in, in 2019, in October of 2019, when I was living in Chile, there were massive protests with hundreds of thousands and millions of people taking to the streets to demand an end to this authoritarian era constitution that Chile is still living under. And music is a very important part of that process. The 
there there was a famous song called El Derecho de Vivir en Paz, the the right to live in peace, which was by this Victor Jara in the 70s, the musician who was publicly tortured and had his hands broken so he can never play guitar again after the coup. Um, a, a bunch of people, celebrities, pop stars, did a reboot of that song for the 2019 protests and called it Un Nuevo Pacto Social, a new social contract. Basically saying, in a song, we have to have a new constitution that's more about humans and less about privatizing everything. Wow, I want to I want to hear it. So it's literally sung to the same tune of this very famous revolutionary song from the 70s. Called what? Called called El derecho de vivir en paz. The the right to live in peace. Okay, and so that that's the song from the 70s from like 72. Which and, is an anti-Vietnam War song. It's a drop-dead gorgeous, 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 gorgeous and song. Then, and then somebody reused that melody to write another song? And then they reused the same tune to sing the new social pact. New social pact. And I want to, okay. So th- is that in Spanish also? also? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Un, un nuevo, nuevo for new, pacto, yeah. pact with a, yeah. an O on the end of it. Un nuevo pacto social. Okay. Social. A new, it's spelled exactly like social in English. Right, right. Social. Yeah. Okay, great. Un nuevo pacto social. So, so that, that says, and the new social pact, can you sing it? No, I haven't learned any of these lyrics to perform. Okay, okay so, uh, but, but what is the basic idea of, this, of the new social pact? Um... So the constitution that Chile is living under right now is from 1980 and it was quite literally I'm I'm people think you're exaggerating when you say this it was a literally a group of like 12 people was the largest it ever got and there was three or four people that did the vast majority of the writing. There was literally about a dozen people and only three or four main dudes, all all men, all very privileged males, writing this constitution from 1980 that implemented Reaganomics like beyond Ronald Reagan's wildest dreams. So the new social pact is about getting rid of that and having a constitution that's actually putting humans first. Oh, I want to hear that. I'll, I want to hear that. I'll look, maybe... up the lyri- I'll look up the lyrics to like any of these songs and come back and learn them and sing them. Yeah, right. Right, like, right. Like, let's totally do that if that's something that so you're maybe, down. Because yeah. I did not prepare that maybe what all. we should do is like uh expect that 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 will be because i have this is i mean okay i think 
I'm going to uh, edit this way down because yeah. we, we've been talking we've for been, two hours. It's two hours of content. Yeah, right. And you can turn it into like 30 minutes of content uh, or however or long maybe an hour. you're wanting. But, so, yeah. but then if we add that other part, so let's do that. So let's say good night or goodbye to whoever is listening. And um, thank you, Paul Ruffner, f- for... Uh, Sitting with me for two hours. Absolutely. Yeah, and uh, it's Absolutely. really it's it's exciting to me because I feel like it's it's this whole thing of like this world and what we're gonna do about it is like keeps changing. Like and like we have to keep rolling it's with it. It's pretty wild. Yeah, it's constantly changing. Yeah, and, and the and, strategies. What what this thing about Chile shows you is the strategies for making change also have to be changing with these times because everybody had this very convenient conclusion when the, when the elections in the eighties and the early nineties were happening and people were like, Oh, the way to do political music is talk about how fun everything's going to be like in the future. Mm. And that was just, the right answer. Right. Because people were like, it worked in Chile. It worked, you know, it worked in Chile. It got rid of this horrible government. And all over the world, particularly in the United States, like people were like, that's the answer. Well, and, it- and now they're figuring out in 2019, oh, all these issues that we literally papered over in in song all these issues are still around like not not singing about it has not made any of our problems go away so now people are starting to sing about their problems and rap about their problems yeah. some of some of the socially critical rap that's coming out of chile right now is bonkers Wow, okay, I want to check that out. Yeah. yeah, we'll have to, you know, have links and all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So this this will actually take a little work. So I'm yeah. going to say adios and uh, to be continued. Everybody music, it's an ancient genre and the latest craze. Everybody music. It's a human revolution, not a passing phase Cause everybody is a musical body Designed from the ground up to connect And everyone can be a music gardener All you got to do is sow Seeds of music wherever you go Don't forget to word them, huh? Everybody music It's us